say the key verse with us. It's out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I want you to notice uh, in that, the, the last part of that verse, the phrase, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. That's what we want to talk about today as we look at uh, Isaiah's close encounter. The first half of this series did three uh, sermons on uh, pretty much the head part of prayer. Uh, we talked about how you need to learn to pray at a certain time, in a certain place, with a certain plan. It's the head part, the habit part of prayer. In the last three sermons, we've been looking at the heart part of prayer. We've been looking at close encounters with God. When, in Exodus 33, 11, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Say that with me, face to face. Yeah, as a man speaks with his friend. And that's been our goal for your relationship with God through this series and through this 21 days. We want it to become an intimate time, a close time, a personal face-to-face time. And this may be a new concept uh, for many of you. Maybe like me, you grew up in a church setting where when you prayed to God, you changed the way you talked. You didn't talk to God like you talked to a friend. You would actually change the tone of your voice when you prayed. And, and you would put an F on the, the end of all of your word because you talked different than, to God than you did everybody else. So when I, I look in the scripture and realize, no, God desires a close intimate relationship with me. And that's kind of cool. It's also kind of uncomfortable. You know, probably if I were to ask you about your relationship with God, you might say, well, you know, I love God. I really do. But I don't know that I'm that close to him. You might say, you know, I know God. God knows me. But I'm here and, and God's here. And there's just this distance between us. We're not really up face to face. So what we're trying to do in in this part of the series is lead you through some encounters where it feels that close. You know, one of the strategic plans that we have for you as a church is to get you to the point where you can truly know God in a personal way. That's one of our goals. You might say, Pastor, you know, you're setting the bar too high. I mean, that was Moses. I'm not Moses. You know, Moses has got statues. I don't have any statues. They make movies about Moses' encounter. Nobody's making a movie about me. So I just want to point you to this verse, 2 Corinthians 3. It says, whenever though they, and circle the they on your notes, because the they is believers. The they is the church. The they is we. It's us. It's you and me. Whenever though you and me turn to face God as Moses did. When you decide, and it's a decision, when you decide that you want to remove the distance like Moses did, God comes in and removes the distance. He removes the barriers. He removes the veil. And there we are face to face. If you make a move toward God, if you move to meet God face to face, we, we will suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation, and I can just put in the word religion, 
that old, you know, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it because I have to. You know, I don't, I don't want to read the Bible because I don't get anything out of it, but I got to read it. I don't, I don't pray because I really don't, you know, hear from God and not sure he hears me, but I, I'm desperate, so I'll pray. You know, I, I don't really get anything out of the service, and so I'll go, but I'm not going to sing. That old religion is recognized as obsolete. We're free from it. All of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of His face. Notice the closer you get to God, the more you start looking like God. And that's, that's important to understand that because that's the purpose behind all of this. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah. Transfigured means transformed. It means changed. I'm different. This is where Christianity becomes lots of fun. Because maybe I'm not where I should be, but I'm not where I used to be. Maybe I'm not where where I need to be, but I'm not where I was. I've been transfigured. I've been transformed. I've been changed. And and my dream is, is that you'll be around here long enough, that you'll get plugged in deep enough, that you would be able to say, well, God's not finished with me yet, but man, has he been working on me. I've been transfigured. I'm, I'm being transformed. I'm being changed. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives. Last phrase, say it with me. And we become like Him. Because that's the goal. That's the goal. We become like Him. Goal of our encounters with God, it's not for our personal enjoyment or entertainment. The goal of our encounters is not some sort of warm fuzzies where God just comes up and oh, I love you just the way you are. No, the purpose of the encounter is for God to move deep inside of me and change me and heal me and transform me and to make me less like me and more like him. That's the goal. Because you read through the encounters that God has with people. Read through the encounters. Every time when God encounters people, there's a pattern that emerges. A pattern. Now, last week I told you you can't put God into a box. The method of the encounter are not all the same. Adam, it was walking and talking in a garden. Jacob, it was a wrestling match with God where he wrenched his hip. Moses, it was a burning bush in the wilderness. Uh, Balaam, it was a talking donkey. I mean, God can encounter us however he wants to. It can take different forms. But what God does through the encounter is consistent. It's consistent. You can't put God in your box, but God likes to operate out of his box. Because God's not a God of chaos and disorder and just randomness. God knows what he's doing. And so in Scripture, when God encounters someone face-to-face, the same things happen. And if we can come to understand what those things are, what that pattern is, then we can see how that pattern plays out in our life. Because it's the same. So here's the pattern. Every time God met someone face to face, he would touch them, he would change them, and he would use them. He would touch them. He would reveal himself uh, to be strong on their behalf. He He would just move up close and personal to them. And then he changed them. A process of change took place in their life. The third thing he did is he used them. God placed a call on their life for his purpose. 
Now, if you've been coming here any length of time, you know I am completely convinced that the best thing you can do is to discover God's purpose for your life, to know what on earth am I here for? Why do I exist? What was I made for? What is it I'm supposed to do with my life? Because people without purpose perish. They perish. They may not die physically, but they die inside. They die spiritually and emotionally and, and just their drive in their life and they move to, to just trying to you know, pay the bills and survive. That is not how God wants his children to live. God doesn't want you just to survive. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to live life at the highest level of meaning. God wants you to live a life of significance and purpose, a life that matters for eternity. That's what God wants for you. And every encounter that you have with God moves you one step closer to that place, to that point where you discover it and fulfill it. Our encounters aren't for our personal enjoyment. They're to reveal God's purpose for our life. We, we saw this pattern with Joseph a couple of weeks ago. God touched Joseph. God wrestled with or Jacob, I'm sorry. God touched Jacob, wrestled with Jacob, wrenched his hip. God changed Jacob, changed his name, changed his character. His name used to be Jacob, which meant deceiver. Changed it to Israel, which meant I've wrestled with God. God had a, a purpose, a use for Jacob. He became the patriarch of a great nation, the nation of Israel. We saw this encounter with, with Moses. God touched Moses. If you read the story of Moses, God gave Moses leprosy. He gave him leprosy, and then he healed him. Talk about a touch. And then God changed Moses. And Moses was slow of speech. He didn't like to talk in front of people. He wasn't eloquent. And God changed him, made him into a powerful speaker, a powerful communicator. And then God used Moses. He sent him on a mission. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. Uh, Moses gave us the Ten Commandments, gave us the law of God, established the whole worship system for the nation of Israel and the tabernacle, wrote the first five books of the Bible. God used him. This week we're going to look at Isaiah. Isaiah's close encounter. On your, on your notes on the screen, notice that in the year that King Uzziah died, and we may look at that and think, well, that's just like a chronological marker. That's just kind of a, a time frame. But a modern context of that statement would be like, in the year that Lincoln was shot, in the year that Kennedy was shot, in the year the Twin Towers came down. That's what it's talking about. This is a landmark year in the nation of Israel. And what it marked was a period of great confusion, great chaos, great despair. Isaiah is saying, in the midst of great national confusion and despair. Have you noticed that God often has to use a crisis to get us to turn to him? You know, it usually takes something falling apart for us to turn, to run to God. I just want to give you some, some free pastoral advice. Actually, all my advice is free, okay? Just the way it is. But let, let me give you some advice. Don't wait for the crisis to turn to God initiate it on your own before you get to the crisis. Because if you don't, and, and God doesn't cause the crisis, the crisis comes from you neglecting God and trying to do things your own way. But God will let you dig yourself into a hole of your own digging if that's what it takes for you to get to the point where you turn to Him. And so don't do that. 
You know, turn to God before you get to the crisis point. It took Uzziah dying before Isaiah saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, look what happened. It says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, he saw a God that was bigger, more glorious than he ever imagined. And that's what happens when you encounter God. You're just stunned by how big, how glorious God is. Above him were seraphs. That's a Bible word for angels. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Step number one in the process that God takes you through to encounter him. Write this down on your notes. God wants to reveal himself to me. God wants to reveal himself to me. God wants to show you that he's more powerful, more able, more glorious than you ever imagined. Okay, pastor. That's fine. How do I get it? This is the really cool deal about this. Every time you take a step toward God, Every time you turn toward him, like Moses did, remember he turned toward the bush to see what's going on? Every time you open your eyes to see what God wants to do in your life, every time you open your heart, every time you open your life to him, God reveals a bit of himself to you. God wants to reveal himself to you. God doesn't want you to read your Bible just to get more information. God wants to reveal himself to you. God doesn't want you to pray just to communicate information to him. It's not like God needs you to, to you know, tell him what your situation is or to fill him in on your needs. God wants to pray with you so he can reveal himself to you. Remember, it's when we're seeing the brightness of God's glorious face that our lives become brighter and better because we begin to look like him. Look what happens to Isaiah. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Evidently, he had problems with his speech and the words that came out of his mouth. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you see how big God is, you realize how small you are. When you see how glorious God is, you realize how inglorious you are. And then you're presented with this dilemma because you start remembering, this is what I did last week. This is what I said on Tuesday. This is what I did on Wednesday. This is what I thought on Thursday. This is where I was on Friday. And all of a sudden you realize, man, I am so, I fall so far short of the glory of God. I'm unclean. God never leaves you there. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. In the temple, there was an altar in the tabernacle. You know, we've been praying the tabernacle prayer through this uh, 21 days of prayer. Our Rockbrook for Kids, uh, they're going through the tabernacle. Uh, it's kind of cool how we've worked that out. The kids will learn all about the tabernacle. Both been praying through the tabernacle in our 21 days. And, and there's, there's a part in that prayer where you pray an altar prayer. Because on the altar, that's where the animals that were sacrificed were offered up to God. They were burnt up as an offering unto God. Now, we don't sacrifice animals anymore because Jesus is our final sacrifice. We're not redeemed with the blood of bulls and goats. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
And all this animal sacrifice stuff in the Old Testament, all the stuff in the temple and the tabernacle, it was looking forward to the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. The mysterious book of Hebrews in the New Testament takes all that Old Testament sacrifice stuff and, and, I, and tells us how Jesus Christ was in it and fulfilled it all. And so our trust is in Christ, not in those sacrifices. But what this angel did for Isaiah is basically he took a piece of the sacrifice that was made. Figuratively, he took a piece of Jesus and placed it on Isaiah's mouth to purify him and cleanse him. Because that's the second step of this process. First, God reveals himself to you. You catch a glimpse of God's glory, how big he is. And then you understand, number two, God wants to cleanse me. Cleanse me. Above that on your notes, write the word change. Because God wants to change me. God wants to do something new in me. Change me so I don't stay the same. Cleanse and change. Cleanse and change. That's what God wants to do in your life. And it's a continual, lifelong process of cleansing and changing from the day you trust in Christ till the day you see Him face to face in glory. Cleanse and change. Every day, not just Christmas and Easter, not just 21 days of prayer and fasting, every day God wants you to take a step closer to Him. Remember, 2 Corinthians first talks about how God gradually changes us. King James uses the phrase from glory to glory. It's just one step at a time. One habit, one sin, one, one, one bad thought, one, one weakness, one wound at a time. God is just moving us every day, revealing himself, changing us, making us more like him, less like us. And you need to know that, that you've got to move toward that. You can't get stuck in the past. Devil wants you stuck in your past. God's all about your future. And the way we deal with our past, the way we, we, we get cleansed, the way we break free from our addictions, our hurts, habits, our hang-ups, the way we do that, what's God's plan? God's plan is, was, and always has been to use relationships with other people to change us. That's the way God does it. And so that's why coming out of 21 days of prayer and fasting, the next thing we're doing as a church is we're moving into our fall small group curriculum. We're going to be preaching a sermon on the weekend. That same material is going to be covered in our small groups every week. We've got a nine-week series that we're going to be doing. Our kids are going to cover the same topic. Our teens are going to cover the same topic. We're pulling the whole church together into these relationships into these small groups. That's why we're wearing these badges. We're small group leaders. We want you to know who we are so you can get plugged into a small group. And we're going to be looking at the material as unstuck, releasing God's power to change your life. Now, this stuff doesn't happen like this by accident. It happens by design because it's a, a purposeful progression that takes you from where you are to a deeper relationship with God and a deeper relationship with other people to cleanse you, change you, heal you, grow you. And that kind of cleansing, changing, healing, and growing always happens in relationships. It's the way the body heals. The, the body heals as the parts are in relationship with one another. You sever a body part from the body, it doesn't heal, it dies. The same is true with the body of Christ. It's when the body is connected and together that the healing and the growth and the change happens. And you can choose to stay stuck. You can choose to stay where you are. You can get comfortable, even complacent with your sin. You can get stubborn in your attitude. I don't recommend it. 
because God wants you to change, and if need be, he'll let you have a crisis in order for you to do it. But you also want to do it. You want to participate because you don't want to miss the third part of this process. Look what, what's next for Isaiah. This is what's next for you and for me. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? God has something he wants to do in the world. God has something he wants to do right here. Because we're in the world. God wants to do something in your heart and life. And God's saying, who can I use? I need a volunteer. In, in every place in the Bible, from cover to cover, from Morocco bound to maps, God reveals himself, he changes the person, and he gives them an assignment. And that's what God wants to do for you. God has an assignment for you. An assignment for you. And this world will only be touched for God to the extent that you and I realize, fulfill the assignment that God has given us. You've never lived your life fully until you, until you pursued God's purpose for it. You've never lived life fully until you you've understand why you're breathing air, why you exist, why you are here. God says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I love the us because there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right there. There's the Trinity in Isaiah. Who will go for us? Isaiah says, that's what you're looking for? That's what you want? I thought I was unworthy. I thought I was too messed up. God says, messed up people are all I got. It's all I got to work with. You're it. It's not about how messed up you are. It's about God cleaning and changing and healing and growing you. It's what God does. So Isaiah says, I'll go. Send me. God said, go and tell this people. And I just left it as three dots because that's Isaiah's assignment, not your assignment. You know, everybody has a different assignment. Jacob had his assignment. Moses had his assignment. Isaiah had his assignment. Paul had his assignment. Even Jesus had his assignment. And you've got yours. The purpose of all of this is for you to have a close encounter with God. Not to just get Holy Spirit goosebumps or have a kumbaya moment and then all go eat brunch. Okay? Purpose to encounter God and to let God change you. Why? Because number three, God wants to use you. God wants to use me. And one of the best things you can do in your life is to discover why you're here. Why do you exist? What did God make you to do? Now let me put this in, in, into context, kind of draw this, this together to you. Because you know, this isn't that you know, you, God's going to send you off to some remote part of the, part of the earth. I mean, you know, we, we get afraid that if I say, well, here I am, send me, that God's going to pack us up to some hellhole somewhere and we're going to suffer the rest of our lives. No, God's looking, God's wanting to do stuff right here. He needs people to do stuff right here. So, I, you know, we bought into this concept so much as a church, as a church staff, that our whole programming in this church is designed around this process. The whole goal of our weekend services is to help you encounter God, to know God. Our goal is to create an environment with music and message, with worship and word, to where you just catch a glimpse of God. That's our prayer all week. That's our prayer before, during, and after the service, that God, just reveal yourself to these people. Reveal yourself to these people. Because there's nothing I can say that can change your life. There's nothing these guys can play and sing that's going to change your life unless God's power and presence is in it. Because that's what changes lives. One second 
of seeing the, the glory of God. One second where you realize, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One second where you realize God is alive, God is real, God, God is right here. And it'll change you forever. That's the goal. That's the goal. But it's not the end. It's the start. Because once God has revealed himself to you, God wants to change you. And real life happens. Always. Always. In relationships. Life change happens in relationships. And that's the second thing that God wants to do with you. And that's why as a church we have a focus on small groups. Because it's in the relationships in those small groups that God changes you. It's in the rough and tumble of small groups where you get your rough edges knocked off. It's where you get polished. It's where you get cleaned up. You know, even, even in the groups where you don't necessarily have an interest in the curriculum or maybe you don't even like some of the people. Okay? God's big enough. He can use boring curriculum and obnoxious people to change you. Okay? He can do it. Sometimes that's where God does his most uh, best work. So we're encouraging, get into a small group. It's part of God's process in your life. And it's one of the things we do. We are a church of small groups. We're not a church with small groups. And once you've encountered God and you've got plugged into a small group, we want to encourage you, work your way through our growth track. Work your way through growth track and get on the dream team. Our growth track has four steps to it. And if you're going to find and discover God's purpose for your life, then you need to do four things. Number one, uh, you need to take Church 101, 101 Church. We're offering that this afternoon at 1.30. And what you really need to do, the goal, a goal of that class, it's not so much you need to take the class, you need to do what the class encourages you to do, and that is get committed to Jesus Christ through salvation. You need to give your heart and life to Christ, and then you need to get committed to the body of Christ through membership. You need to find a local church and get committed to it. Now, I'll tell you, it doesn't have to be this one doesn't have to be Rockbrook. There are great churches throughout our community. You just need to find one that fits and gets plugged in. Become a member. Get committed. Be as committed to the body of Christ as you are to Christ himself. And then get identified with Christ and, and identified with his body through baptism. Be, join the fellowship. And, and don't use the idea, oh, you know, don't give up on the idea of the perfect church. You're never going to find the perfect church. Sometimes people won't join because, oh, I just don't like this, and I don't like that, and I wish they did it this way, and I really think this. And, and you're just using those things to hold you back from all that God has for you. There is no perfect church. Unless you're going to start it. That's what I did. <laughs> and you know what? I don't even like everything around here. Okay? But I yield myself to it. I belong to it. I, I get plugged into the body. I'm committed to it. The local church is God's plan for this age. It's the body, the bride, the flock, the family of, of God. God's not going to come up with anything else to satisfy you. He doesn't have another plan. He doesn't have a plan B. This is it. Ephesians 3.10 says, It was God's intent that the manifold wisdom of God would be manifested through his church. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. God wants to have, uh, raise up and empower churches all over this planet to bring his message of hope to a dying world. In the church, we, we're the hope of the world. And you've got to get connected. Get connected to a local church. That's step number one.
101 church. Number two, you need to take uh, 201 essentials because you need to get up close to God to find out what God wants you to do. And so you need to be committed to Bible study and prayer. You need to be committed to a small group. You need to be living a spirit-led life. You need to be giving faithfully. You need to surrender your, every area of your life to God. You need to be living out the essential habits of the faith so God can speak to you, so God can cleanse you, change you, transform you, transfigure you. Then you need to take 301 Discovery. We offer that the third Sunday of every month, 301 Discovery. And and, and that's where you discover your spiritual gifts, your personality, and your passion for ministry. Where do you want to serve? And then you take 401 Dream Team, fourth Sunday of every month. And that's where you move from being a spectator to being a participator. You get off the bench, you get in the game. You stop just consuming and you start contributing. You start, start making a difference, using your gifts, talents, abilities to serve other people. You start making things happen for God. Not, not just for the difference that it makes in the church, but because of the difference that it makes in you. Because now you're living for what you were made for. You're living out your purpose. You've got meaning and significance. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your manifold wisdom. We thank you for the wonder, wonderful plan of the church. And God, you've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself through, through the body, through the body of Christ, the flock, family of God. God, help us to see you, to see you clearly, to understand how great and glorious you are. God, help us to understand how big your love is for us. Your love is so big that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. And you've told us that anyone who believes in Christ, they'll they'll receive the power to become the children of God. God, we want to be your child. We want to be your children. We want you to be our father. If you're here today and and you've never stepped into that father-child relationship with God, this is your moment. Just say, God, please adopt me into your family. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want, to be, I want to be your child. God, thank you that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for the life change that we experience. That as we see you, as we see your word, as we pray and interact with you, that you move into the very depth of our heart and life. And you take those parts of us that are unclean and you clean them up. You change them. Make them less like us and more like you. God, I pray you do that for every one of us, every area of our life. God, thank you for the the process that you've given to us, the ability we have to get connected with a local body, to to come to uh, uh, be unified. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. God, thank you for the uniqueness of each part, each person, in the church, each part, each member of the body. We each need all the others. So God, help us to find our place, to discover our part, and then to do it. To do it for your glory, to do it for our benefit and reward. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.